Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Good morning at home. I am looking directly at home in your eyes right now. I hope you can feel that on your TV. Um, Isn't it weird what we're doing, but isn't it good that we can be together in whatever way we can? Um, I've so missed. um, During lockdown, I always said... I feel for other people who don't have a guitar because I get to worship and I can really like enter into worship by myself. And then I, I don't think I'd, I'd forgotten what I'd been missing. And to worship with your brothers and sisters is something special. It's incredibly special just to be in the presence together and to commune together. It's what we were made for. Um, and I don't take that for granted now. I think that's one thing, you know, there's many things to learn out of this whole period we've been in. That's one thing that's really come home for me. Anyway, let's, let's go on with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, I'm going to talk about sin, everyone's favourite topic. <laughs> um, everyone, everyone, as soon as I said that, I was like, I gauged the room, and you all just sort of went, <clears throat> okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've become a little bit uncomfortable with sin. We should always be uncomfortable with sin. This isn't a message about go out and sin. This is not what's about to happen. But... I wonder whether we've become a little bit uncomfortable with it and the ability to talk about it. Because I think when we understand sin, I think we understand God a bit better and why sometimes we struggle. So um, I'm just going to put it out there. I sin. I am the best singer amongst all of us. Do you know what I mean? I am, this is not a talk from perfection. It is talk from a work in progress. And I really am a work in progress. I am not better than anybody. So this isn't a, a condemnation talk or anything like that. Because inevitably, we all sin. We all mess up. We all fail. Me, as, amongst, as much as anybody. Um, and so I just want to look a little bit this morning. And so I want to look at why it's an issue and actually what do we do when we kind of highlight that issue. Um, for those of you who don't know, we um, have been um, renovating our lounge. In, so the room next door, it's going to be unveiled soon. Amy Gilman, by the way, has done an incredible job um, heading up that project. Um, and she has just been incredible. And I doubt she'll... I don't think she's watching today, so she'll never know I said this. And I kind of like that a bit better. Uh, but uh, she, uh, she's done an incredible job giving uh, many, many days off to kind of paint the lounge, bring it all together and heading up that project. Um, And one of the final stages we've had to do is change the flooring. So we had some beautiful carpet tiles before, but they had been there for a good (laughs) 20 years. And they they had seen their 20 years well. And so we've put in some vinyl flooring. And uh, my mate now, Chris King, we're good friends. He came to do our flooring for us. And uh, it was meant to take two days. And the first day he comes in... uh, and they start their work, and about 10.30, so they started at 8, 10.30, I get a knock on the office door, and he says, we've got a problem. I said, Chris, that's not what I want to hear. He says, uh, he says, you need to come have a look. I go, well, I do know my building expertise very well, so let me come see the issue and see if I can help. But um, he goes up and he says, we found some old asbestos tile. You need to deal with it. And then he asked me a lot of questions like, do you have an asbestos contractor? I don't know if we have an asbestos contract. All of these questions that I was not equipped for, and that's when I called Martin, because when in doubt about building stuff, we call Martin, so thank you, Martin. But um, as a very untrained person, I said to him, when he found it, I said, can we just put some new floor over it, and we'll be fine, won't we? And he said, no, you can't do that, because when we find the issue, you've got to deal with it. And I think that's what it's like with sin. 
is when you find the issue, you've got to deal with it. It's got to be dealt with. Because otherwise, he said, look, I can, I can put this flooring on top for you. I'll put it down. But you see, in two, three months' time, it will start to raise the floor a little bit. Some of the old tiles will come up a little bit, and it will start to trip you up. I think you've got the analogy. Thank you, thank you. Jeannie, by the way, I didn't make that up. We really did have asbestos. <laughs> Don't worry, it's been dealt with. It's all lovely. We've got a nice certificate telling us that we are absolutely free and you can breathe in deeply, but not too deeply because we're in a pandemic, so, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's a real tightrope we're walking this morning. Anyway, so um, I want to talk to you. Um, one of my favourite stories in the Bible is in 2 Samuel, and it's when Nathan the prophet goes to talk to David after David's been a silly billy. Let's put it that way. And so for context in 2 Samuel 11, which I'm not going to read, but um, David, we know the story. He sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. He sleeps with her, calls her to the palace, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, realises he's got himself in a bit of trouble. He tries to bring her husband Uriah back from battle. Uriah is a very faithful man and doesn't play ball. He, he actually... He, um, he, he, Basically, it doesn't work out. You can read the story, work it out for yourself. And to cover up his mistake, David sends him into a battle where he knows he will surely die, thus ensuring his death. Murder. He's got himself in a bit of a pickle, and so this is where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had brought. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And at this point, we'd insert our EastEnders. And that's why we're going to pause. But I mean, the Bible, man. It's got some stories in it. Um, I bet you're wondering that. Why didn't Nathan just go in and just go, mate, what's going on? And uh, I think there's a couple of reasons. It's not uncommon in the Bible to see a fictitious story being used as a case study um, to present a real-life situation. You can actually see it a couple of chapters on um, with Joab and the woman of Tekoa. Also, David, he was used to this. He was, um, I think you'd call it like the director of the Department of Justice. He would have faced many such cases. And it's not surprising, actually, that he didn't automatically link that this story was about him. It's not surprising. But actually, and I think the bigger point is it's clear throughout Scripture that God works with different people in different ways. Different methods are appropriate for different people at different times, depending on the recipient, the circumstances, and the point of the message, but I think the massive point is, is that God wanted to talk to David. He wanted him to hear what was going on. He wants to have a direct communication. You know, in order to understand the issue of sin, we have to know who God is. 
because actually sin can only be defined in relation to God. And in order to do that, we're going to go, I bet you all know where I'm about to go, back to the garden, the place where it all starts. So we're going to read Genesis 3. Um, and I just want to pick out a couple things from it. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman put, you put me here with. It's a bit cheeky, Adam. But anyway, uh, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, when I um, read this passage this week, I've read it many times, I'm sure we all have. I think it's probably etched in our Sunday school memories. Um, But actually, the first thing that struck me this week wasn't a God who was angry at misbehavior, but a father who wanted to connect with his child. First question, where are you? Very first question that comes out of his mouth, where are you? He wanted connection. He'd lost connection for the first time with his creation. Second question, who told you? Why has this connection changed? And the third is only then the third, what have you done? I don't think he was as much concerned with the action as he was with the loss of connection. You see, the problem with sin, the many problems with sin, but one of them, one of the major ones for me is it destroys our connection and repels us from intimacy with our Father. We immediately hide. That's what the first thing they did was they hid. And I think the reason is simple. Why do we hide? It's because God and sin cannot interact. It just can't happen. God is good and holy and pure. There is no doubt in that whatsoever. And sin is directly in the opposite of that. In fact, I'm going to read you a bit, an excerpt from Gruden's Systematic Theology. It's a big book. I'll save you from reading all of it by just kind of reading this tiny little bit. But uh, sin is directly opposite to all that is good in the character of God. And just as God is necessarily and eternally delights in himself and all that he is, so God necessarily and eternally hates sin. It is, in essence, the contradiction of the excellence of his moral character. It contradicts his holiness, and he must hate it. They can't go together. Um, I actually remember someone, I think it was in a children's talk here a long time ago, um, about, um, and they, they brought in, and I'm pretty sure they did it in real life. My memory might not be serving me, but they brought in a cup of water, and they also brought in dog poop, or like told us it was dog poop or something. And they said, we're just going to take a little bit of this dog poop and put it in this water. Would you still like some? (laughs) And they said, it's just the most minute amount. It's just the smallest amount of dog poop, but we are going to put that in the water. Would you still like some? It contaminates. Sin contaminates. And so we're left in the garden with this predicament. 
a God who wants connection but cannot interact with sin and his creation hiding because they're naked. They know that they're naked for the first time, unable to cover themselves and their shame. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God in that moment does for man what man cannot do for himself, and he clothes them. They cannot deal with their shame, but God can. He will and he does. And we can see throughout the Bible that to be clothed is to be given life. You can really see it, actually, if you just move on to chapter, uh, chapter 37, you can see the story of Joseph. And actually, um, Joseph's robe, that multicolored robe, the robe of many co- colors, is used throughout the story to symbolize when he is given life. So when his father gives him the robe, but also when it's taken away, when he's near his death, the first thing that um, gets removed off him is the robe when he, when he gets beaten by his brothers. And to signal his death, the brothers give it to the dad to say, your son is dead. It signals life. We know, don't we, that we're internally clothed by Jesus, by what Jesus did on the cross. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever understood that phrase? It's something that we all say in church, but it's, it's a funny phrase, right? To give it a little context, because um, it's not a silly question to say, what does that actually mean, to be covered by the blood of the Lamb? What it means is when Moses came and uh, with the ten plagues, the final plague was the death of the firstborn son. And uh, God told his people, he said, if you put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, we will pass over. That's, that's, that's the whole the reason. And so, so Jesus came as the eternal Passover lamb. That's the point. He clothes us with his blood. We get washed clean by his blood. Um, Hebrews uh, 10, I believe, Verses 21, I think Sue's got it at the back. And the Passion Translation says this. It says, And since we now have a magnificent high priest, Jesus, to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity. And we have been freed from an accusing conscience, Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. His blood has covered us. His blood has clothed us. God made a way where there was no way. It's the simplest part of Christianity, but it's the one we need to understand, right? He's made a way. Actually, sin, the issue, the thing that separates us from God. For me, if you're going to ask me to... Sorry, I hit my mic. But uh, if you're going to ask me to define sin, sin is separation. And it's the worst thing. The worst... Now I understand what it's like to be connected to my father. It's the worst thing. It's the absolute worst thing. But sin no longer has to be an issue because Jesus has dealt with it. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. But yet, don't you still feel separate from God at times? When you mess up, for me, it's the biggest thing that happens is I feel far away from him. And I, you know, I'm not murdering people left, right and centre, or at all. But, (laughs) but I still mess up. I still mess up and I know I mess up. I'm so, so aware of it. And then there's the times that I don't realise I mess up and then I later find out I mess up and that's even worse. 
why are we still living with this separation? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That word sin there, by the way, it's from the... Oh, thank goodness, Alex isn't here to correct me. Uh, not that she would, she's wonderful. But hamartia is the Greek word. It's not pronounced like that, but that's how my English mouth is going to pronounce it today. And it means to miss the mark. It comes from a, a, an... It's not an archaeological term. It's an archery term. Thank you. Um, it's an archery term, uh, meaning to miss the bullseye. It means to miss the mark. And so Jesus, what Jesus does is he comes and he covers that point, that gap. He covers our sin. But we have to choose to let him. During the, uh, maybe we can use it like this. And you know the story of the prodigal son? The father stands on the edge of his property and waits. He cannot go beyond it and go grab the son and pull him back. The son has to choose to return home. Does that make sense? So when we sin, when we, when we get to that point, there's a choice to be made. When we find out that we're all going to sin, unfortunately we live in a fallen world, I believe that we go from glory to glory the more that we know Jesus, but I also believe that sin is part of the deal until we get to heaven. But we have a choice. So let's go back to Samuel, uh, to Samuel. David's got a choice. And I think it comes to down to two things, which is he gets to continue in his shame in the cycle of covering things up and hiding things. I don't know if any of you have been watching Line of Duty. Please do not tell me what happens. I'm in season three. So I know that... Uh, just, just, I'm going to put that out there right now. I'm in season three. I don't know. I'm even halfway through season three. Um, it's terrible watching Gogglebox at the moment because I swear it's on every week. But, um, but my understanding of Line of Duty, for those who haven't seen it, is it's about police corruption. And my rough working out of how the series goes is someone messes up and then just spends the rest of the series covering up and getting in deeper doo-doo. And I feel like that's what it's like with sin sometimes, that we, we, we just cover up and cover up. David, he, he does the initial thing, which is he sleeps with someone else's wife. It's bad enough. He gets the woman pregnant. And then he, to cover up, he, he does all of these things to cover up his sin. And actually, he's got in, getting to the point where he's married the woman. He's not even really aware of the sin he's doing anymore. To keep covering up and covering up. It's what shame does. It hides. It separates us from God. Or, and it's what he does after this passage. If you, if you read on, you can see that he repents. You can say sorry. And you can repent. And it restores the relationship. You know, repentance is painful, let me tell you. But it stops the cycle of sin after sin after sin. To repent means to turn from your ways. Just turn around. You know, avoidance doesn't stop the cycle. It just doesn't do it. Avoiding something doesn't mean it's not there anymore. It just keeps growing. Um, not many, I wasn't actually going to say this, but I think it's a good analogy. Um, not many people know that um, I knew I had a lump... Of, I, I, I talk a lot about it. I had thyroid cancer about three years ago. It was, a, it was about a year I knew I had a lump in my neck, and I just avoided it until Sue told me I couldn't sing anymore unless I went to the doctors. So thank you, Sue. <laughs> Genuinely how that conversation went. <laughs> she do, you actually do need to go sort something out. And for, because I avoided it, it, didn't, it's, it just kept growing. You avoid the issue, it keeps growing. You've got to cut it out. To keep 
my neck apparently in the in the picture. Um, you might notice that um, I've I've got a fresh scar on my neck. It's nothing wrong with me. Um, I had a keloid scar, which means it it healed very badly, and it was a very thick scar. And so they, in order to deal with it, in order for that healing to come come through, they had to cut it out. So I went into surgery last Friday, and it's been cut out. So if my neck looks a little sore, it's because someone literally yanked a scar out my. That's the medical term. Um, when, um, it's, if you'd like to hear what an awake surgery is like, I was awake for it. That was the plan. Um, and, but in order to deal with that, in order for the healing to get to its completion, I had to go through a little bit of pain. You know? We've got to deal with these things. Because separation from God is the worst thing in the world. And if you don't know that, if you don't know what it's like to be connected to your father, I want to tell you this morning he wants to connect with you and there is nothing that can get in the way of that connection if you want to connect with him. So literally all it is is a turning around. To repent is to turn around and to face your father and say, I'm sorry. That's it. It's simple. But what we do instead, because we don't like sin and we're ashamed of it, is that we try and cover it up and cover it up and blame it on others. Do you know what? I'm amazed that Adam, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is the woman, it's her fault, but you also gave her to me, so it's your fault. I mean, it was a real double whammy. But it's very natural, but it doesn't stop anything. The most amazing thing for me is who we're met with when we say sorry. We're not not met with a judgmental God who holds it against us. We're met with a loving father who welcomes us home. We say, if you don't know that, please read uh, Luke 15. It's all you need to know. The, we call it the prodigal son. It's probably better named the good father. We know from Psalm 51 that David does repent. And in a moment, I'm going to end by praying that prayer for us, um, over us, because I think it's the best prayer to pray for a repentance. He allows himself to become broken by what he's done. He embraces the pain. And then he allows God to restore him. God will always restore you. He always will. It's who he is. It's his nature. You know, and, and it, does, it doesn't sometimes negate the consequences of our sin. You know, there are things that I've done in my life and I have to live with the consequences. It's horrible, but I live with them. But if you read the story of David, they lose that son that they... they um, that Bathsheba falls pregnant with in the first place. But God restores to them Solomon, who later goes on to be king. Nathan, the prophet, actually gives him another name. They call him Jedidiah, which means to be loved by God. Sin in this life, it's inevitable, and it's, it's part of the deal. But it's what do you do about it when you get confronted And there will be things in our lives, guys, and there are things in my life. So I want you to hear this. There are things in my life where God has to confront me and say, Amy, you're allowing things to get in the way. You're messing up. And, you know, some of them them are small, some of them are big. I'm not perfect as much as I would like to be. God's less concerned about the sin you do but what you do when you sin.
that might be a little bit, I don't know, you might not agree with me, and you're, you're more than welcome to not agree with me, but I really believe that I don't think he's concerned about this sin. It's, I think he's concerned about what you're going to do about it. The reason God hates sin, the reason he wants to deal with it is because it separates us from us, from him, and he wants to be connected to us. He longs, he yearns to be connected to you. You are his creation. From your mother's womb, I created you. He knit you together. He longs to be connected with you. And he doesn't want anything to stand in the way. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we think we pray the sinner's prayer and then we're done. Maybe, you know, that's something I've come across that we, you know, it's, we pray a prayer and we just kind of, we try and live a good enough life. But actually, I think there's something about repenting in our daily life, about coming to five and saying, what's in the way? Where have I messed up today, which has got in the way of my relationship with you? He wants to connect with us. He wants to be with us. Nathan, by the way, if you didn't hear his talk last week, go back and listen to it. He did an incredible talk about the Father and his connection that he wants with us. And this is just a little bit of a continuation, which is, you know, when there's something in the way, let's deal with it. Because that's his desire. That's my desire, at least now. I want to be connected to you, Father. So why don't we stand as Nathan and the band come back? I'm going to pray um, just some. I'm just going to pray Psalm 51 in the Passion Translation. I'm going to read some some words. It's not the full psalm. It's most of it. But I'm just going to pray over us, over me, and if nothing else, I'll pray this prayer because I really believe in it. But actually, while we're praying, why don't you just allow Holy Spirit to stir in you anything that's in the way? Anything that is separating you from him. Just allow him to bring it to mind. And as it comes to mind, as you're confronted with maybe some of your sin, allow Holy Spirit to come and remove it and deal with it. Because that's his desire. God, give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt because your compassion is so great. Take away the shameful guilt of sin, Father. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience, for I'm so ashamed. I feel such pain and such anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you. Everything I did, I did right in front of you. For you saw it all. Against you and you above all have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true. And your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth. From the moment my mother conceived me, I know that you delight to set your truths deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. Keep creating in me a clean heart. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. 
May you never reject me. May you never take me from your sacred spirit. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Then I can show other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back home to you. They will find their way back home to you, knowing that you will forgive them. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with my joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not my performance or sacrifices I might offer to you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. Amen. I just uh, I just want to make a real caveat. If you're feeling guilty, if it doesn't lead to repentance, it's not from God. So if you're stuck in a cycle of just feeling guilty, I'd really encourage you to call someone, to pray someone, the pastors, pastor leaders, elders, whoever it is. Because it's not about staying in a place of aware of your sin. It's about moving into connection to the Father.